Hi there, and thanks so much for being here on this first edition of this brand new show on the Inside Track, Defining Moments from There to Here. Over the years, I've spent a lot of energy on podcasts and past shows, interviewing various people, and always some of what I think I do best is bringing to light the person behind the various things that they bring to us. We've had a lot of talk about affiliates, and that's very important. I think it's really important for us to get to know the people and what drives some of us into some of the choices that we've made, what drives any of us in one direction or another, in any way that we choose to live on purpose. So we're going to hear tonight from two people. I think that in time, I probably will spend almost the duration of each show on one person. But now that we're getting close to convention, I'm really wanting to bring more people and some of their choices to light. So we're going to hear from two people this time, Sarah Conrad, as she shared a very moving story about her life with FCB, as she was their speaker recently. And I I heard it on ACB radio, and I was quite moved by her story. And we're also going to hear from Jeff Bishop, who has been a close friend for the last 12 years. I want to share with you more about the person that Jeff is as he continues to to do his work and share as he continues to do his work and live his life and bring to us through his role in ACB what he offers. Thanks so much for being here and I'm real excited to see where this show brings us over time as we share our stories and live our stories together. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, it's exciting to have you here. We just heard your first show, Milestones. I'm so proud and welcome to ACB Radio. This is very exciting. Yes, absolutely. Your story, it's an it's a wonderful story. It's a very touching story that you told us about when you spoke for FCB. I shared my story about being kind of born an advocate. I was born with a lot of medical conditions. I was diagnosed with cancer at a very young age in my optic nerves. Went through chemo as a child. I grew up watching my parents advocate for me, both through the healthcare system and the education system. I learned that advocacy is a learning process. I watched them learn about special education services for me as a student who is legally blind. I watched them learn about health insurance coverage for very expensive chemos and how that didn't always cover everything and how medical debt worked for families of kids who needed these treatments. I watched them learn about medical necessity, a term that I now, as a patient advocate, am learning about as I work with patients with life-threatening illnesses. I watched them be a voice for me until I could start advocating for myself. And I think I shared um, with 
the Florida Council, um, sort of an early advocacy moment for me um, as a yes. uh, as a student in elementary school when a gym teacher um, gave me a lower grade because I I couldn't catch a ball or do some other things like other students. And I, I'm sure I shared with FCB yes. that I still cannot catch a ball. I, it still hits me in the face and yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Um, I've learned to, you know, put my hands up to protect, protect myself. So, you know, you different go. strategies, I right? Right. Exactly. Absolutely. But I shared with uh, the Florida council, um, that I decided that I wanted to kind of teach my teacher um, about my my vision because I, I wanted her to understand why I maybe couldn't do the same tasks that other students could, but that I could try and that I could use other tools um, to do a lot of the same things that they could. And so um, along with my teacher for the visually impaired um, and my other teachers at the school, I uh, sort of made a little booklet that explained my cancer and explained my vision and um, explained the things that I could do um, and the skills that I did have. Um, and I got to kind of go through that booklet with that teacher and so voila, my grades were better by the end of the semester well, in her how, class. And I mean, first of all, <laughs> let's, let's go back a little bit. Now, your parents that started doing all of this advocacy, I gather they were on the same page with each other. Yes, Okay, Absolutely. that's that Absolutely. even in it of itself is incredible. And oh, it's true. how were they dealing with their feelings and their stress reactions? Oh, uh, you know, my parents um, are stronger together, you know, mm-hmm. and they um, they I, I know that it was a, definitely a, a struggle for them. I, I, it's a struggle for any sure parent to hear that your kid has cancer. I mean, there's. Yeah. Uh, there there are few things in, in life worse than that. And I think it was very challenging for them in knowing that other children didn't survive, you know, and, and going through the emotions of, of grief with other families and then that whole process. So I think they made it through together. Um, they had support from the rest of my family. Being in a small town, you know, our, my whole family, you know, lived um, all pretty close together. So grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins all together. And But I, I'll also say, you know, being a family um, coming from a, a faith background, um, my church um, was, was very supportive. And um, I think, I think really helped my family in any way possible, you know, you know even with, with childcare for my older brother, you know, or um, just whatever support financially or um, just being there for them. And, and I think um, knowing that there were always people there to help, even though those people didn't necessarily fully understand what was going on and never would, you know, try to say that they understood what they were going through, I think there were always people to offer support. So having that support system was very helpful. And so you began to learn that advocacy was something that was always, it was needed, it was going on. So I'm sure Mm -hmm. that as they advocated, and as you learned to advocate, there were those voices of, you know, she can't, you can't, you know, Mm. did you ever feel (laughs) that feeling of I can't? You know, I, I really didn't growing up through grade school. I I really grew up feeling like I was 
kind of just like anyone else. I mean, there were certain things I knew I couldn't do, like drive or, you know, play certain sports. I, I knew I wasn't, you know, going to go be a competitive basketball player, partly because of vision and partly because I'm short. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, there, there were certain limitations that I, I knew were just there. But, you know, when it came to school, theater, band and choir and student organizations and all of these things, they tried to give me the opportunities that any other sighted person would have within reason, obviously. In school, I did advanced placement classes, just like my friends. And sure, I needed some accommodations, but I never really had the feeling of I can't or they don't think I can or anything like that until until college, until I, I sort of got out of the small town when, every, you know, in a small town, everyone knows you. They all knew that I was the girl with the the visual impairment they all knew that i had all of these abilities because they all saw me you know overcoming challenges every day so that just wasn't new to anyone and i think um going off to undergrad was had to sort of pave my own way you know i had to sort of introduce myself um find a new identity um and it was the first time that i really as having a disability. Um, I mean, I knew on paper I did before that. Um, I knew the definition, but I, I never would have called myself a disabled person oh, or a blind sure. person. Um, what a, that means yeah. to, and to figure out what, what, what is my identity as someone who, who is blind. I think I didn't really, you know, even come to terms with what that meant hadn't before really that. I questioned it because you were just busy living it. Exactly. Sure. Really yes. busy. And so I take it you were born in the 90s. Is that right? Yeah. 91. 91. Okay. That's so interesting, uh, you know, to look at the differences of where we are generationally, because I, I really think that there is more knowledge, there is more acceptance, at least in certain circles. And uh, in the in the generation that I grew up in, people were much more about, you know, sort of the looking good era and, you know, the, the quote, social norms and, and you know, the, I think the possibilities were a lot um, considered to be more limited in thinking. I think you came, mm. you came at a point where, you know, it was, and the way your whole family, you know, like, yeah, sure you can, come on, you know, and just sure, sure. along. And I love that story about your teacher and that you Mm. actually, you didn't just write a letter. You actually went face to face Mm -hmm. and showed her your book. Do you remember that conversation? I do. I do. How did she take it? She didn't take it well at first. I remember uh, (laughs) she uh, first tried to compare uh, so she, I, I learned from her that she uh, actually didn't have vision in one eye. She had a glass, oh. and she tried to compare her situation to mine, even though she had enough vision to drive and had enough vision to do mm-hmm. a ton of other things. And I remember um, that was probably the first time that I, I felt offended by, and that really wasn't much of a comparison. <laughs> And uh, it's something I think we face a lot in the blindness community. Um, 
And, and I understand it now. You know, of course, when I was in what second grade, I think this was, I didn't understand it. Now I understand it as someone trying to show empathy, trying to relate. Mm-hmm. It's coming from a good place. Of course, when I was, you know, what, seven, I didn't think it was coming from a good place. But I might not um, <laughs> have thought it was so good if you had offered to drive her car. <laughs> and I don't remember what my reply was, but I'm pretty sure... <laughs> that I put my hands on my hips and said, you don't get it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, oh, my but goodness. I, but, but I do know that I did leave the book with her. And I and I do remember think, remember having a conversation with my, my parents afterward and them saying, well, maybe she'll think about it later. Um, and now looking back on that, you know, sometimes people's immediate reactions aren't what they're actually thinking, you know, and what they're actually processing. And probably in the moment, she, you know, yeah. was just trying to say something and didn't know what to say and wanted to somehow connect, you know, and and probably took some time to process. But uh, it's definitely a, a good lesson lesson in uh, how to how to say something in a, a more uh, a positive way in the moment you gotta and gotta think before you speak <laughs> yes yeah. well, that's yes fascinating yes. though I mean there are so many people that don't do the communicating they need to do face to face you know mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. in many situations it's sure. many times people lose people and say, oh, I wish I had said anything, uh, what I could do, what I needed them to know, how much I cared, what bothered me, anything. Here right. at a young age, you went and did that. That's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And that book was a lot about your, your life and your cancer that you made. Was it little cutouts and pictures and things? Yeah, we um, we had a Polaroid camera. And I went around and I took pictures. I think I took a picture of my teacher for the visually impaired and I, I wrote about or, you know, described what she did to help me. I took a picture of my teacher and talked about how she helped me. Um, I think I um, had them take a picture of me with my cane and then I talked about how that helped me and I don't recall how crazy I must have looked, but I think I tried to draw a picture of the brain to show where my optic nerves was and (laughs) my brain tumor which a second grader you know drawing but uh yeah you know and and it was it was just trying to show um my story and and trying to show and the things that I could do you know um with my friends and um you know all the all the things that I could do to play and in class and things like that and then some of the things that I had trouble doing but ways that people could help me do those things so Uh, that is so brilliant you learned early about other people advocating for you and about your need to advocate and that you could advocate and Mm -hmm. went on to become a patient advocate, but still living a very full life. I recognized that even in grade school, too. I, you know, I I had my friends, you know, in, in my class, but I always gravitated toward the the students in the special education classrooms. Um, Those weren't the students who I um, had classes with, but I thought they were so cool because they were just, you know, they they had such unique qualities. Um, Frankly, sometimes they were nicer than the other kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they had other talents. Sometimes Mm -hmm. 
sometimes they were lonely and sometimes as a kid I was lonely too sometimes we had things in common and and I always I I can think you know even as early as first grade I always chose to sit by the students with cognitive impairments it just was always just natural to me and all the way through you know even middle school and high school I had my friends in my classes and they advanced placement classes I loved being a tutor but what I really loved to was was to hang out with the students that I was tutoring afterward because I, I love to be friends. I thought they were such awesome people and I, I always found that that we were so much more the same than different. Oh, and, that's uh, incredible. Oh. And so, yeah, and so it led me to major in, in special education with the focus in intellectual disabilities in, in undergrad and then which led me to, to go to law school to pursue education, law, and policy because I just... I always go back to advocating for those individuals. They're awesome people, and it's not because they're different. It's because they have, you know, equally uh, great abilities to share um, with the world just as much as as you or I do. And so um, I just always go back to that. And I think, you know, all of those experiences early on watching my parents advocate for me and learning to advocate for myself, um, you know, I think that, that just helps me to advocate for those individuals more thank you sarah and i really appreciate the time we spent we went on to talk a lot more about sarah being motivated in finding her voice to be that voice for others i apologize for skype i have learned that you really uh, giving me problems in both of these interviews and hopefully we'll have a better solution for that next time but thank you so much Sarah and here we go as I spent time with Jeff Bishop you must have had some pretty powerful influences well my parents were really big influences on me and they always pushed me to really think outside the box about you know doing whatever Jeff wanted to do you know whatever whatever it was and when i was when i was young um especially in junior high and high school i was i was picked on quite a bit cuz i i was different you know i was different than everybody else i wasn't the jock i wasn't you know all of those things and um so i started to get to to get into technology and i really blossomed in that area but when i started working in 1987 i had a, a really significant, I didn't think so at the time, you, you, you kind of mm-hmm. look back at your life and you go, wow, that, that guy was amazing for me. <laughs> Not at the time, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he, he really pushed me to make sure that I knew what I needed to do for my job, but that, that it was also important to give back. So he said, every Friday, as part of your job, you're going to go work for Big Brothers Big Sisters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Every Friday, I would go over to Big Brothers and Big Sisters, and I would work on uh, their computer systems. And I wrote databases for them, and I you know, did troubleshooting for them, and did a lot of design work for them. But it blossomed into something even more. And um, it, was, it was really, really neat. And that, and that continued... Uh, I moved away uh, to California, then came back, and we continued that for a long time. And then I, 
uh, I went to work for Microsoft and that presented some interesting challenges because I had to really think outside the box and focus on ways of adapting my work environment. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I learned there was that I needed people to help. Mm. So Jeff, do it alone. And so I had to reach I out to... Couldn't do it alone. It broke up there, but couldn't do it oh, alone, right? Yeah, I could not, I could not do it alone, no. Yeah. Uh, and so I had to reach out to people who were a lot smarter about the technology at Microsoft than I was to help develop uh, solutions. And so we did that, and I was able to, to really blossom and, and do really great work there. And uh, so... I, I've always had, you know, these things throughout my life where, you know, uh, people coming into my life that have pushed me in ways that I didn't think that I needed, but that have made me a, a different type of a person. Um, and that's true even with my work today. I mean, there's people in, in, in our work with ACB that, that they have influenced me in thinking outside the box and thinking about ways of, of, of improving and becoming, uh, you know, a better me. Um, when I was, when Carrie, uh, we were married in 1988, and when Carrie left on her, her mission, there was a, a gentleman by the name of David Horner. And one of the things that David told me was that, that, that you are responsible for making sure that you are happy. Mm. Wow. And uh, I don't know why this always keeps coming back to me, but it has. And he, uh, yeah, really powerful. And so I've, I've really tried in my work professionally and in my volunteer work to expand that to, in, to, to really try to make others happy in, in ways that I can, but also to tell them that they need to look inward to be happy too. Okay. And yeah, so, it's uh, yeah. yeah. So really, really, really interesting, and and it's amazing how you have the pillars are, which you don't really think that they are at the time, but when you look back at your life, you go, you know, these were, these were the key influential people that, that, uh, were in, were important throughout my career. When, uh, when I left Avalon Software, and saw Kim, who was really, you know, molded me into what I would consider to be a, a boy into a man professionally. Kim was your and, boss? Uh, yeah, Kim, yeah, mm-hmm. Kim was uh, my boss. Okay. And he was tough. He was tough. Is that the one that made you do the giving work? Yep. Mm-hmm. We had big brothers, big sisters. Uh-huh. When you did that, were you doing much with the kids? Were you interacting with them much? I did. I evolved into that. And, uh, but I didn't initially, you know, I, I stayed in my comfort zone first mm-hmm. and then, and then, uh, they, they, you know, pushed me into things that were a little more uncomfortable. You know, I, my brother was quite a bit older than me. So really I was, we were just different. Mm-hmm. We didn't spend a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of like really in many respects, but you know, not really, but kind of. Kind of alone, kind of isolated boy. Skype. Yeah, isolated. Yeah, yeah, isolated. And I, um, I, uh, you know, so when so when they tried to get me to work with kids, it was hard 
because I wasn't used to that. You know, oh. I was used to being bullied and, and picked on and not, yeah. not, you know, not part of a group. And so, you know, looking, looking at ways that I could protect myself. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, so I became a big brother to a, a number of kids and worked with them and I did, you know, you. some fun, geeky things and, and just really neat things that, 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 uh, they brought you out, it, didn't they? Yeah. They really brought me out actually. Yeah. yeah. And, and I bet they felt good with you. I mean, I bet they loved you. Yeah. Yeah. That is sweet. I, I only had a couple of them, but they were big influences on me and, and that really helped, uh, when, you know, when my wife and I started having children, my kids have been a significant influence on me too. They've pushed me um, to 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 really, you know, help them and come out more to 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 you know work with them as well. So, life is all about just you know um, surprises, and and um, I think the thing that's the most important about me is that is that the work that I do, it, I. I I still am very technical. I still like to do a lot of that geeky kind of thing, but my the 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 true passion of mine is to to really help other people, and that's what it's all about. That's what's the most important is help other people. Is people. And I also see you as one who loves to connect with other people and have other people connect in a variety of ways to to other people and to other things. I mean, I I see you yeah. as a connector. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm really big into um, communication mm-hmm. and trying to get people to communicate. When I uh, when I was working, I, I did quite a bit of work in in training and, and teams of developers and things. And and one of the done was getting people to think outside the box. And and okay, you need to think of don't don't come to me with a problem unless you have a solution. And if you don't have a solution, at least show me that you've given it thought. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've really tried to push people to think outside the box, and then we'll th- and then we'll come up with creative solutions together to solve problems. And so what that's it, what it's all. About. What is it about technology that you love? What is it about that that maybe first got your interest? Solving problems. Okay. When uh, when I uh, started getting. When, when I started to get, we didn't have a lot of access technology. We had to build our own or come up with creative solutions that, that would allow us to adapt our own. That's been the case for me throughout my entire career. And so I take uh, that, that work that in my job and I do it outside of work too. Mm-hmm. So... Is a good example. I saw. What do we need to do to better the organization? We 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 need a way of better communicating within the organization, or or better getting our messaging out there to the world. How do we do that? Well, we need something on on the on the mobile platform because that's where the world is. You know, websites are all well and good, but that's not what the world is is using these days. We're we're probably going to go back to websites eventually again uh, as the as the big the big item again. But right now, it's it's. It's mobile apps and mm-hmm. that kind of a thing, um, and so that, that that's why I felt it was important to do that. So I, you know, really aggressively looked and and for both funding opportunities as well as opportunities to uh, produce the, you know, the app. But the most important thing is to to really 
help and benefit other people. That's, that's truly what's important. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for your friendship and all the hard work you do in both your life and with ACB. And thank you, Sarah, as well. It takes a lot for each one of us to step up and dare to be who we are. I remember one time when someone said, oh gosh, what courage you have to cook and what courage you have to independently travel. I said, no, I don't think about those things taking courage. I asked her, do you want to know what really takes courage? And she said, yes. I said, daring to be who I really am. Daring to speak up in any given moment and say, this is who I am. This is my truth. So I encourage us all to listen to the real rhythm of the drum that we follow and making sure that the truth we go along with is the truth that we really are following and choosing to follow and not to wait, not to just take it for granted and let everyone else beat the drum or let everyone else have the voice, but to to dare to find our voices and speak with passion and compassion. Thanks so much for being with me on The Inside Track. Debbie Hazelton, ACB Radio Mainstream. I have a lot 